0: All right, I thought what we'd do for this Sunday night is uh, talk a little bit about uh, the nature of the church in terms of what we had been doing online, what we're kind of still doing online a little bit, uh, but but also uh, what we need to be thinking about as now we're getting back and physically meeting and all that sort of thing. And at the beginning of this whole thing, we had kind of thought through this whole process. Many of you may not have known that. Um, I, I wrote something on my blog, but, you know, like, you know, one person reads it and, you know, thanks mom. Uh, but actually just kidding. My mom doesn't read my blog either, (laughs) but, uh, I wrote something there, but, you know, not a lot of people see it. And so I thought what we'd do is maybe lay out, um, the nature of the church. And I think it would help us not only to understand what we just went through by doing this online, but also to understand that what is required of us as we then continue to meet. And that it's not just about let's meet in a building as though that's a requirement for the church, um, but instead there's uh, I'm going to draw out three, I think basic requirements of of what it means to be the church and what it means to be a faithful church. Now a lot of this is also kind of uh, been brought on by the fact that there's you know a certain church that will not be named in California that's, uh, going through a lot of stuff right now because they feel like they have to physically meet. And, and I think, you know, for them, they probably do, uh, have to physically meet regardless of what the state commands in that regard. Um, but, uh, thinking through it, if that were to happen to us, if, uh, if the governor were to suddenly say, Hey, we're, uh, I'm, I'm shutting down all churches or, or what have you, I'm not allowing you to meet. What would we do exactly? Well, I, I think we, we would look to what we had been doing and, and, uh, in our understanding of the church. The the reason why I want to talk about this is because I think there are some people who think that we have been unfaithful, uh, that we have acted out of fear, uh, that we have all these other reasons or we're, we're just not obeying the Bible when we shouldn't submit to government because government's, you know, overreaching into the church or something. And I want to be really clear that, uh, you know, when we go against government, we should actually go against government because... It is uh, directly conflicting with what God has commanded us to do. So then it becomes very important to understand what has God commanded us to do as the church? Why are we meeting? What is the point of it? And so if we don't understand that, then we're going to start thinking, well, the church is some sacred spot that's like magical and we have to be in that spot and as long as we enter this building then we're, we're in this magical spot or something and we're blessed by God and if we don't enter this magical space then we're not. Um, we'll talk about all that today and so I, I don't imagine this is going to be a long lesson I, but I, I do hope that at least it gets you to think a little bit about what we are as a church. So before we do all this let's go ahead and go to uh, our Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that, again, you have provided us the word that we might be directed through the truth uh, and not through our traditions, uh, not through our own experience, not even through our own logic and reasoning, Lord, which, if left unguided, will be guided by the fall and by the flesh, and we will end up in in the wrong place, even a pious place uh, that is not biblical. Lord, I pray that uh, as we look at your word, we understand what is required of us as the church and therefore what we're supposed to be doing. And we can then maybe see different ways in which we can do it and, uh, and also not be complacent in thinking just because we attended a particular place uh, on a particular day, then the fulfillment of the church requirement has been or the church requirement has been fulfilled. Uh, let's, let's look at these things anew, Lord. Let's ask the questions and be critical of ourselves uh, as we seek to worship you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we look at the scripture, I, I want to look at three scriptures because I think they embody what, why the church meets. Like, what is the purpose of the church meeting? What should we be doing and, and what should happen? Uh, as we we meet and I I think things can be summed up into three categories but I want to read the scriptures first or at least this first scripture and then I'll sum up the three categories so the first one is going to be Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles So as we go through this passage, I want you to notice uh, certain elements here. So first and foremost, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So first and foremost, right there, the word of God is central. Uh, The word of God through the apostolic teaching, um, that is what they are devoting themselves to. So why are they coming together? They're coming together to hear the teaching of the apostles. They're not coming to hear story time. Uh, they're not coming to hear some life coach, uh, you know, advice. They're not coming to hear psychology, experience, philosophy, tradition, any of that. They're coming to hear the Word of God through the apostles. And so this is why we need to be preaching the Word of God, the apostolic preaching from the Word of God. That is the New Testament putting the Old Testament in the context of the New Testament, and therefore teaching the whole counsel of God, but through the apostolic teaching, knowing that the apostolic teaching is the fulfillment of all things in the Scripture. And so that is the first requirement. I guarantee that half of those who complain that they didn't get to go to church for the past three or four months uh, in these you know megachurches or whatever, or all these people... I guarantee that a lot of them, they go to church for story time. So they're going to go to their physical buildings and they went to their physical buildings, maybe today, or maybe they'll go sometime in the future if they're still not meeting. But ultimately I would argue they're not really going to church because church first and foremost needs to be the preaching and teaching of the word of God, the apostolic witness and the apostolic uh, theology and ethics that, are, that, are, that God has given to the apostles. So that's the number one element. The word of God must be central. The apostolic teaching, in other words, orthodox Christianity as the Bible is being taught must be central to the meeting. Now, we as the church, as uh, Trinity Reformed, I think we do a great job at this. I think that's, that's what we do. And uh, I don't think anybody can, uh, uh, you know, could accuse us of doing otherwise. I think we do a good job at this. And so, uh, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think we do a, a really good job. But I have heard a lot of. Complaining from people generally in evangelicalism who I know the churches they go to do not necessarily do a great job at this, and yet they they kind of had this idea that, well, I'm going to a building, and so I, I went to church. Now, notice they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And fellowship, of course, it can take many forms. It's discussed here as the breaking of bread. I actually think breaking of bread is just another idea of um, the, the, another idea of uh, having meals together and fellowshipping. But I think it also maybe includes communion. All of that. What is biblical fellowship? We'll look at, at that in a moment. Um, but I, j- I just want to note that that's the second element. So fellowship. So if you have not fellowshipped. Even though you went to the building and even though you heard the apostolic teaching, you've not actually been to church that day. So it's very important. You need both apostolic teaching, the Orthodox Christian teaching, and you need fellowship with other believers and intimate fellowship. Not just, hey, how's the weather? Great. Uh, Hey, nice dress, uh, nice jacket, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, atheists could be meeting. How is that distinctively the church in any way? Uh, this is talking about fellowship, intimate fellowship in Jesus Christ, in the apostolic teaching, which we'll see later in Ephesians, and we'll bring that out. But the second element then is fellowship. First element, Orthodox Christianity, apostolic teaching. Second element, fellowship. Verse 43 Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So I want you to notice there's a third element. Maybe you didn't catch it because there's other things going on. There's also the things that you know God is doing for them as they're meeting, as they're becoming this witness for him as, as they meet as the church. But the third thing is they're taking care of one another's needs. That's the third element. Um, that has to do with giving in terms of money, that has to do with giving in terms of your spiritual gifts to one another, um, edifying one another in the Lord. And Jeff spoke about this uh, last week, but edifying one another in the Lord and um, really just uh, being there as you use your gifts together. Sorry, he spoke la- last Friday about this, um, but but using your gifts to build up other believers. In Christ. And so whatever gift you have, you are giving of yourself uh, to the body, those who are in need. If there's a need, if it's a physical need, it should be met physically. If it's a spiritual need, it should be met spiritually. But it should be a matter of giving. And of course, this giving takes place in the context of. Fellowship and right giving takes place in the context of Orthodox Christianity within those uh, w- within the covenant community. And so I want you to notice these three elements are what make up a, an assembly of God and what should be going on in the assembly of God. There should be the apostolic teaching, there should be fellowship in the apostolic teaching, Um, in terms of partaking in it, and then there should be giving going on to those who are in need. So let's go to the next passage, Acts chapter 4, and we'll begin with verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had, So again, I think you see the three elements here. All the believers were one in heart and mind. I think that is where their fellowship is. With, um, our, no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. That's taking care of one another's needs. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So the apostles continued to teach. So you have all three elements there, again, as they're meeting. Now, I want you to notice that the the times of their meeting are different. They're going to change even in the book of Acts. They change from them meeting every single day um, to eventually later in Acts to the Lord's Day. So I want you to notice verse 46 in chapter 2, every day they continue to meet together. And I also want you to notice that the places that they meet change. Uh, the same, same uh, verse, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Well, later on, they're going to meet in houses. Uh, still later on, we know that they're going to meet in catacombs because they're going to end up being persecuted. They have to go into catacombs. Now, I bring this out because I think this is ex- extremely important. What it means is this. The location doesn't matter. Where you meet Is irrelevant. There is nothing sacred about a building. There's nothing sacred on whether you meet in the temple courts. There's nothing sacred about how close you are to one another. Because I guarantee you, meeting in the temple courts, you're you're probably further spread out. Meeting in a house, you're probably like jam-packed right in with one another. Meeting in the catacombs, you're probably like, a guy's like way down there and you're like way down there and the catacombs, you get lost in those things. So where you meet, completely irrelevant. The times that you meet, whether it be every day or just on the Lord's day. Now, I do think that we should meet on the Lord's day. I think it's a commemoration of the Lord's resurrection. And so I, I you know, I like the tradition of it but are we required to meet on the Lord's day? Well, no, not necessarily. I do think it says something though. I do think it teaches something that the first day of the week is the day of the new creation, which is why we don't meet on the Sabbath, Saturday. We meet. Uh, we meet that was commemorating the old creation. We're now, we're now looking forward to the new creation. So I think it teaches something almost like a sacrament. Not that it is a sacrament, but I think it teaches something through a picture. So I, I think it's important to meet on Sunday, uh, whether that Sunday be Saturday night through Sunday evening or it be our modern Greco-Roman understanding of Sunday morning to Sunday night or whatever it may be. But Sunday, the Lord's Day, I think it's important to meet then. But is it absolutely necessary in order to like, accomplish what you need to know? Well, no. I mean, that's why we also meet on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or, or whatever. I mean, it's a, we could meet every day of the week if we wanted to. Um, that's why Paul says, don't let anybody judge you in terms of a Sabbath. Or, well, you know, to, to some people, every day is the same. So to others, it's, it's, you know, there's a special day. I mean, whatever. Um, I think we can apply that to Sabbaths. I know that's talking about holy days in particular, but I, I think it, we can apply it even to the weekly Sabbath um, or the weekly Sunday because it's, it's not a Sabbath, actually. So I I want to point that out because that's going to become important for why why we discuss or or why we've done what we what we do, we're doing and and then how we might go forward and think about going forward if in fact we have pressure from the government saying you can't meet or something. Now this is from Ephesians four. I realize Jeff is going through four. He'll get here uh, as well. But I, and I'm not going to deal with this in in uh, uh, detail. But I do want you to notice the three elements again, and this is going to bring out what fellowship looks like a little bit more than before. So chapter four of Ephesians, verse seven. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says when he ascended on high, he captured captives. He gave gifts to men. Now, what is the meaning of he ascended, except that he also descended to the lower regions, namely the earth? He, the very one who descended, is also the one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. And he himself gave, so this is as he's ascending, he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that is, to build up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature, So we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes, but practicing the truth in love. We will in all things grow up in Christ who is the head from him. The whole body grows fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does its part, the body builds itself up in love. Now I want you to notice this. What does he leave as gifts to the church so that it can attain to the measure of the son of God to attain to maturity as a a grown man in Christ. um, He leaves teachers. Doesn't say he leaves people who speak in tongues, although we know that's a gift. Doesn't say he leaves people who practice hospitality, although we know that's a gift. Uh, he doesn't leave people who, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to think of another gift at the moment, or, or, or healing, or any of that. It, it, it's specifically, he's talking about the primary gifts are gifts that give the word of God. The apostles who are receiving revelation, the prophets who are receiving revelation from God, evangelists who are taking uh, the apostolic teaching and building churches around it, so they're installing elders and teaching people discipling them in order to get a church planted in a particular area. So basically like a missionary, a real missionary. Um, and pastors, shepherds, and teachers. And in shepherds and teachers, the, the shepherds are a subgroup of the teachers uh, in, according to the Greek grammar. So you've got basically teachers that are left. Why? Because the central thing that the church is to be doing is teaching. And so first and foremost, there we go, there's element number one. The church is to be teaching the word of God, the whole counsel of God, the apostolic teaching that Christ gave to us. As we go down, verse 17, so I say this and insist in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Because they are callous, they have given themselves over to indecency, for the practice of every kind of impurity, with greediness. But you did not learn Christ like this. If indeed you heard about him and were taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, you were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside the old man who is being corrupted in accordance with deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man who has been created in God's image in righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth. Therefore, so there's the teaching you got and it's been given to you now. Therefore, having laid aside falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members of one another. So you are now to take the apostolic truth And encourage one another in Christ with it. Rebuke one another in Christ with it. Correct, reprove, admonish one another in Christ with the teaching. In other words, you're not done by merely hearing the teaching. It's not over. Then you haven't gone to church. If you're just going to church, hearing the teaching and leaving, you're not actually practicing Christian ministry. And you can be mad at elders and churches for not meeting, but you're not meeting. When you're given opportunity to meet, because you're just going hearing and leaving. That is not what God has called you out to do. He's called you to a ministry to one another, and you need to hear the word of God first to do that ministry, and then you need to actually take it in to where your life is changed by it, and then you need to disciple one another with it. And that's what fellowship actually looks like. Not, hey, did you see that movie last week? That was great. Now, I I love talking about movies, but if it doesn't move over into the category of theological ideas and ethical ideas, then it's just entertainment and I don't really want to talk about it. Um, If it's not a part of discipleship, I don't really care. I'm not saying you can't talk about anything else like the weather or whatever, but my point is, is that if that fills your fellowship it's not real biblical fellowship, and you've not really gone to church. You've not partaken in the assembly. And look, I've been at prayer meetings. I, I used to make fun of all the time. We'd be in these prayer meetings, and every prayer would be, you know, I, I have this ailment, and my, I stubbed my toe, and, you know, Uncle Billy is going in for surgery. And look, that's all fine. You, you should pray about whatever you know, is on your heart. But at the same time, if the only thing on your heart is superficial stuff that even atheists can talk about, how are you distinctively the church? Talk about the things that God has given to you to change your life and to change the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where your true fellowship is. If you need to talk about the weather in order to get there, great. But make sure you get there. Otherwise, you've not gone to church. Um, 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger uh, Do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Third element. So how you treat one another. Now, Ephesians is going to expand it. It's going to be more than, again, this is not just talking about physical needs. It's spiritual needs as well. It's how you relate to one another in fellowship. It's also giving to people what they need spiritually. And so it's speaking the truth and love to one another, not being uh, angry to the point to where you're going to sin against one another. It, you are to be angry. I mean, it literally says be angry. Why would you be angry with believers? Probably because they're holding on to false doctrine. Maybe they're deceiving other believers in their ignorance. Uh, maybe they're in sin in some way, in, in, in some just ethical way. Be angry because that's what Jesus is toward falsehood and anger and chaos things that destroy his people. But don't sin. Uh, don't, don't then go off and slander them. No, talk to them about it because you're, you love them and rebuke them. And uh, yes, if they don't repent, then you have to do church discipline because that's love too. But ultimately, uh, fellowship and meeting one another's needs is all this stuff. And I can go on and on and we could continue to read about what you're, how you're supposed to treat one another. Um, verse 29, you must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up, that's edification, of the one in need, that it would give grace, favor to those who hear. Now, it doesn't mean that they would have favor with you because you speak it in a nice tone and a nice way. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that it would give favor from God for the one who hears it because they're repenting. They're being built up in the truth. They're being changed and they have the favor of God there, the grace of God through the truth that you're speaking to them in fellowship. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away all bitterness Anger, wrath, that's the wrong kind of anger that sins. Wrath, quarreling, and slanderous talk. Indeed, all malice, all hatred. Instead, be kind to one another. That is, kindness means you're, you're giving what the person needs. That's what kindness actually does, providing what is needed. Compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So what are the three elements needed? Apostolic, Orthodox, Christianity. That needs to be central in teaching, fellowship of the saints, and this is what fellowship looks like, and meeting one another's needs physically or spiritually. If you are not doing this, I don't care that you're back in a building. If you are not doing all three of these when you meet each Sunday or each time we meet, period, then you are not partaking in the assembly. You've not gone to church. And my fear is that so many people, because they have this sacramentalism of space, that because I've entered a building, I've entered this holy space, and now I've done something good and I've done something righteous and through osmosis, some sort of spiritual osmosis, I'm going to be blessed by being in this sacred space. That is medieval sacramental magical theology that you do not have in the Bible. You know what changes people? The Word of God being preached and taught. Fellowship with one another as you impress the Word of God on one another and you meet one another's needs. That's what changes people. And again, communion is part of that. I think the breaking of bread is part of a part of the fellowship or whatever, but ultimately I, I, I really think it's part of the teaching. Because it's a picture. Of sanctification, And so that's a part of it. Both, the, So I, I think there are other elements you can have in there, but they fall into these three categories. And it's very important that we actually see that that is being the church. Again, it has nothing to do with location. It has nothing to do with times. Now, let's apply that for a moment. So let's say the government told us uh, you can't meet as a church um physically, but you can meet online would Would we be able to teach you online? what do you think I'm doing right now <laughs> hopefully this is hopefully this is possible right Are you able to teach like through through you know social media or can you can you go through a camera I mean, yes I mean, if that wasn't true, I don't know why you guys are listening to podcasts and YouTube videos and going online for anything. Because you can't, you can't be, you know, taught online. Well, of course you can. So there's element number one fulfilled online. You don't have to be in the same room, right? Can you fellowship online? Um, can you can you remember what fellowship is again? Can you speak the truth and love to someone over the phone? Can you do it over FaceTime? Can you get on Jitsi and do it? Um, if you can't, I don't know why you ever make a phone call to do that sort of thing. And I, I would maybe venture to say that most of you have communicated truth and love to one another over the phone. Maybe not in love. I don't know. But but you've communicated truth over the phone. You've edified one another over on the phone. You've prayed for one another over the phone, over the Internet, all sorts of things I'm pretty sure you can fellowship with one another through the internet. Now, can you take communion over the internet? Well, we have been. Now, can can Jeff and I physically touch the communion? Well, no, we don't physically touch your communion anyway. We're not like, you know, transferring some magical thing from the eldership to the communion. We're presiding over it in terms of we're doing the prayer. We're making sure no one's, you know, messing around or whatever. As we see people online, and we also trust that you know how to take communion appropriately as well. As as and we're seeing one another take it, and we're taking it together online. Can we do it? Yes, absolutely. Now you may say that. Well, I can't share my food. It's like, well, you don't share your food every. Did you share your food every Sunday for the past like twenty years? Have you not been to church for the past twenty years? Obviously, there's things that they're doing that, yeah, we wouldn't necessarily do the same thing. We, we don't have love feasts anymore. That was done away with early on in the church. Has the church not met for 2,000 years because it doesn't do love feasts anymore? Again, those are just parts of fellowship. Praying together. Can you do that online? Yes. I mean, if you really wanted to eat together, you could set up a camera and eat together. I mean, you could do the same thing. So can you fellowship with one another? Absolutely. And that's what we've been doing online. That's why we've been doing the Jitsi things. And we've not just been producing YouTube videos. If you've just been producing YouTube videos, you've not been doing church for the past four months. That's not church. Because if you're just getting the apostolic teaching and you're not fellowshipping and you're not providing for one another's needs, you haven't gone to church. But if you have been doing those things, then you have even though you haven't been in the same building. And now that you're back in the same building, you need to make sure that you don't default to this thinking of, well, I went to church because I went to the building. You need to now actually fellowship then. And the third element, provide for one another's needs. Can we provide for one another's needs? Again, we, we talked about the fellowship aspect. Can you edify one another through the phone? Of course you can. Can you meet one another's spiritual needs, praying for one another uh, through, over the phone, over the internet? Yeah, absolutely. Can you provide physical things without actually being in the same room? Well, welcome to the new world to where you can order things on Amazon. You can order things from Walmart. You can go deliver them yourself with actually, you know, without actually entering people's houses. You know, my kids went over and they pulled weeds for uh, one of our, our church members. They didn't have to go into her house. They were just able to pull the weeds. That's fine. We can still do all this stuff. So if that's the case, we can still be the church regardless of the location and regardless of the time, which is why, I mean, we even move around on Sundays, right? Sometimes we met earlier, sometimes later, sometimes now we're kind of in the middle at 10. <coughs> Those things aren't, are, that's, that's not the church. It's not the place in terms of a physical place. Now, are we physically meeting or, or are we meeting Yes, this is why I want to get away from it. It's like, well, now that we're meeting again, we have been meeting. We have been meeting. We have not been physically in the same room, but we have been meeting. Now, I've said this the whole time. Is it better to physically meet in the room? Yes, it is. Um, if you're not freaked out by COVID and you're going to run off real quick. I mean, that that's that's the key though. You've got to actually fellowship then. Um, but, but here's the thing. It... If you, um, if, if you meet in a building at a time when the government says, "You know what, I don't think it's safe for you to meet in the building. Let's say it's a matter of a building code. Let's forget the virus for a minute. Let's say it's a building code issue. The building is not up to code. You can't meet in the building. Do you defy the government or you just say, "You know what? It's not safe?" Um, but even if it was, and we think it's fine, we want to show our submission to government, uh, to obey God. And so we're going to do that because we know we can still meet as the church online. Well, I think that's what we should do. Now, that's what we can do as a smaller church, because we can get on Jitsi and we can do that. Can a church that's larger, like this, you know, uh, the church of he who shall not be named in this <laughs> teaching, can he do that? Well, through a lot of effort, if he had a- enough elders to preside over these things, he could. Uh, it-, it seems that the logistics might be too difficult. Probably could meet outside. But again, I mean, we're it's a heat wave, I understand, even in California right now. So... Um, So maybe he can't. So maybe this is the right course for their church to take and say to the government, no, because we can't meet in any other way. We can't actually be the church in any other way. Having been to big churches, though, I'll tell you that they usually are just fulfilling number one. A few people are fulfilling the second element of the church. Even a smaller amount are fulfilling the third. And yet I guarantee all of them think, they fully participated in the life of the church by warming a pew that Sunday. And I want to get away from that idea and help us understand that you need to be the church regardless of the location, regardless of the timing. And if we had the government say, you can't physically meet, but you can meet online, then I think we should say, okay, well, you know what? We want to show... Submission to you in all things that we possibly can. Because when it comes to us disobeying you, we want the contrast. We want to make sure that you know we're not just rebellious people. We're not just rebelling because, well, we don't like face masks and the government's not going to tell me what to do. I I forgot the verse that told us not to uh, wear face masks. Can you remember it? Because I completely forgot which one it was. Um, I forgot the verse that says we can't space chairs six feet away. Is, Is that somewhere in like, you know, somewhere in the back? No, there's nothing in conflict there. I want to obey fully and show the government that we fully obey because we want to be obedient. Why? Because we want to be obedient to God no matter what. And that's also the reason that why we're going to be disobedient when you conflict with God and tell us to do something that goes against what he's commanded us to do. But whether we meet in a building or whether we meet online, that's not really conflicting against God. Because he didn't say, hey, I want you meeting in a building. He's very clear in communicating, this is the reason why you're meeting. Fulfill these things. Regardless of where you're doing it. Regardless of what time you're doing it. So, very important. Um, Now... I personally think we are going to very shortly have to take a stand and say we will obey God rather than man on actual things that conflict with what God has commanded. I'm sure we are going to be told real soon, stop preaching against homosexuality. Well, man, what is our church? I mean, you know, probably more out of my mouth than anyone else. You've heard this whole thing about the creation ethic and how that's going to run smack dab against homosexuality. Well, that's going to get us in trouble. Are we going to stop? No. But that's also telling the government that, look, we're disobeying because we absolutely have to obey God rather than you. We're not disobeying because I'm looking for any little crack, any little thing I can to where I can be a rebel and feel like a martyr. That's not a Christian idea. Uh, I actually think that's a self-exaltation idea. Uh, the person. I'm not saying everyone who does that, if, if people really feel they're in a corner and that they, they don't see what we see, they don't see the elements of what it means to meet, and they think that you actually have to meet physically in order to do those things, that's fine. Um, I'd want to teach them, but I'm not saying that they are in sin or anything. I think that they're trying to do what's right, and that's fine. Um, I, I would take issue with people who uh, are just knowingly rebelling on things that they know they could submit they they could submit to that that's a problem that's just a rebellious spirit now you're now you're you, now you're you're back at americanity and not christianity because christianity we're looking for opportunities that someone sees us and they see our submission to them in all things and yet, when we do disobey, it's only because of our submission and not our rebellion. And that makes them think, huh, I wonder, why do you obey in all these things, but you don't obey in that one? Like, what is it that causes you to be so obedient to God and that, that you would even be obedient when you're unjustly treated, when there are unjust laws put over you, when the, there, there are abuses? that come over you by these authorities, and yet you still submit to them and honor them as though they are the very ambassadors of God. What is it that causes you to do that? And that's when you sanctify Christ, you set him apart in your, in your heart, in your mind, so that you have a reason when you are asked, and you can tell them the, about the reason that lies within you, with what? With no, no violence, no rebellion. That's what gentleness means, not being rebellious. And fear, that is you recognize their authority in the way that you even speak the gospel to them. That's what we need to do. And so I say this because I want us to understand that there is no disobedience in what we have done or what we may need to do in the future by meeting online. We are absolutely being obedient fully by meeting online and fulfilling these three elements. And I think we've done a great job as a church in fulfilling these three elements. Again, I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back, but I think we did a pretty bang-up job on these three elements during this whole thing. And I've looked around in a lot of churches. I don't think they've done a bang-up job. I think they threw videos on YouTube. Uh, I don't think a lot of them met. Um, I don't think a lot of them took care of others' needs because everyone in this whole crisis then all of a sudden is self-preserving and they're worried about themselves and they're not looking toward other people. Again, I I just don't think that's a a great job. And I think it stems from the modern Christian, especially in America, not really understanding what church is. He thinks the church is a place. And even though you hear constantly like, oh yeah, we're the church, ha ha ha. But in reality, people don't believe it. We are the church. And I don't mean individually. I mean, we're the church gathered even. And we can gather online. We can gather in a park. We can gather in a building. We can gather anywhere. The early church did this. We can do this. It's not an issue. So, I mean, I could go into a whole thing about how, you know, Romans 13 is being abused now. And people are like, well, it's just when, when the government overreaches uh, from the, you know, what God, God allowed it to do. Uh, so government's just, you know, to be a, a fear for good behavior. And when it does anything else, it doesn't have authority. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute real quick. Uh, If you overreach as a parent I could go to scripture and say The only reason a parent is given his authority Is to uh, bring up children In the fear and admonition of the Lord And the kid at any point Could turn to me and be like You know what dad I know you want me to take out the garbage But I I don't see how that connects To the fear and admonition of the Lord I I think you've lost your authority there So I'm not going to obey you Oh really a wife could do that to the, her husband. Why, why is the husband given his authority over the wife? Well, to wash her in the word. Well, that goes against First Peter that says, even if people are, if, if your husbands are disobedient to the word, you might win them without a word and you're showing your, your uh, fearful behavior, respectful behavior, your, your acknowledgement of their authority. Well, if they lost their authority because they're disobedient to the word and they're not fulfilling the reason for which man has, the husband has been given authority, why in the world would she have to obey him? It, it's against the trajectory, uh, trajectory of Scripture. The same thing with masters and slaves, right? Even if the masters are abusive, they're crooked. You're too, if they're harsh, even if, you know, why is the master-slave relationship made in the Bible? What's for a mutual benefit of both parties? But it's not benefit for one to be a tyrant. Well, he loses his authority then, right? He's no longer a master. You don't have to obey him. Is that, is that what Scripture says? No, government is government. Whether you're talking about the larger government or familial government, whether you're talking about a king or a husband or a parent or a master, it doesn't matter. And we as the church are looking and we should be teaching our people not to rebel against God by rebelling against authorities, but telling them to submit to all authority in all things insofar as they do not tell you to sin against God. That is the correct interpretation of those passages. They are twisted because the Enlightenment and even in the Reformation, they were looking for a way to fight authority for practical reasons. But the problem with any sort of pragmatic reason is you end up with something really bad in the future. And of course, it opened a door into just absolute rebellion. It unleashed it because ultimately there is no stopping it. If you're going to argue that a lower magistrate can fight a higher magistrate, you eventually get down to the very individual who's the lowest magistrate. Then he can topple a king. So ultimately it doesn't work. It's not biblical. And we as a church need to understand, look, when is it when we are obeying God rather than man? And when is it that we're just rebelling against God through rebelling against man? You know, Paul says when he, the, he gets slapped in the face in acts, right? And uh, and he says to the high priest, he doesn't know he's the high priest at the time, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. So he brings about a curse upon the man. And another priest comes up to him and says, do you speak that way toward the high priest? And Paul doesn't say, he's no high priest to me you guys are the ones who crucified Christ. You have lost all your authority. I don't need to listen to you or respect you in any way. No, he says, I didn't know he was high priest. He basically repents. For it is written, and he quotes the law, you will not speak poorly of a ruler of your people. Now, if anyone was, was losing their authority, it should have been that high priest. One, they weren't the highest authority in the land. You could probably argue around it and say well it's kind of iffy if they really were authorities. High priests had authority. I mean they functioned as governors in the past, but now that Rome kind of took over and, and and Herod was installed and you have the the prefect and all that, then ultimately you could be like ah oh, this guy's really nobody. And yet Paul acknowledges that the high priest is seen as an authority of his people, and he wants in front of the people to acknowledge, I submit to this abusive, wicked, overreaching government authority. Talk about overreaching. He's preaching a false religion. He's preaching the old Judaism rather than Christianity. And he's physically uh, dealing with Paul when he doesn't really have that power under Rome. And yet Paul still wants to respect him. I'm just saying. Look again, people. Uh, I, I realize that there's a fleshly, in, uh, you know, uh, condition that we have that we just want to fight. I mean, it really is. It's the it's the primeval uh, sin. It's the original sin. Is rebellion? Oh, God told you not to eat that. Ah, you should probably eat it though. Do you really need to obey him? I mean, it just goes on and on to where we're just rebellious people. And in our culture, we have uh, idolized rebellion. The rebels, the cool guy. The rebels are the good guys in Star Wars, right? They're literally called rebels. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that idea. And, and again, I think that we should be rebels, not against uh, God in any way through human authority in any way. And therefore, we always obey human authority because we're always obeying God. And the only exception is that that human authority, in some cases, will tell us to no longer obey God. And of course, the whole point of obeying them is obeying God. So we cannot obey that. We must therefore obey God rather than man. But let us be clear about the nature of the church and what is required of us. So that when these things occur, we can say, okay, this is a ground that I cannot give up to you at all. Uh, it, is, it is a ground that is governed by elders, uh, governed by the word of God, and it cannot be given up. But I also don't want to make ground that isn't that into sacred ground that I don't want to give up. I want to make sure that I'm dying on the right hills. And so, again, for that church in California, I, I might agree that a church that size, they have to do that, and therefore they should stand and say, we're not trying to be rebellious, and I've heard him say this, and I, I appreciated it, uh, him saying this, that we're not trying to be rebellious, but we need to obey God to meet as a church. Great, awesome. But you can wear masks, and you can move your seats apart six feet, and you can still talk to one another, you can still fellowship, you can still do all that, and at the point where you're like, "Ah, oh, we think it's silly, now you're judging government decisions. Now you're assessing whether their authority is correct. Now you're assessing whether what they're saying is right and you're the authority and you're the judge. And that goes back to my original sermon on the government it has to do with fear. Recognizing that their authority does not derive from you, it is derived from God. And understanding then that you don't get to say, I disagree with you any more than your children get to say, I disagree with you any more than your wife gets to say, I disagree with you. Instead, the only time they get to say, I can't do that is when they say, God disagrees with you in terms of what you're commanding me. And therefore I cannot obey. So that's my encouragement to you as we then meet as, you know, because we're, we're no longer just online because we are meeting We need to remember that's why we're meeting. Whether we're meeting in the building, whether we're meeting online, it is to uh, get the apostolic Orthodox Christian word into our minds, fellowship with God through it, then fellowship with one another through it as we seek to edify one another, speaking the truth and love toward one another, correcting one another, admonishing one another. And then meeting one another's needs as we give our spiritual gifts, we direct our spiritual gifts toward that area and we direct our physical gifts toward that area to meet any need so that we end up like the people in Acts where there's no needy among us. Wouldn't it be great to not just say that physically but also spiritually, there's no needy among us that we meet all those needs as soon as one presents itself, we're there. Again, I think we as a church do a good job. Could we do better? Sure, we can always do better. But let's persevere in these things and not just assume, well, now I'm warming a pew, so I guess all that's over now. No, let's keep it up. All the more so. uh, Looking for every opportunity to do this with one another uh, as we meet, as the assembly of God, the ecclesia of God, the church. Let's go ahead now, therefore, and bow in a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, I pray that this was coherent. I probably... uh, uh, you know, try to get a couple messages in there and intertwine them. But ultimately, I pray, Lord, that you you uh, communicate the things that I'm trying to communicate uh, through your Word uh, of what your church looks like, uh, what it should be doing, and not just settle for something that's second best or settle for something that is just traditional. Um, let us not critique things that are new because they're not of tradition but rather see how we can be obedient through these new things. Let us throw out the new things where we can't be obedient, but let us also throw out the old things where we can't be obedient. Father, whatever it may be, old traditions or new traditions, let us truly believe in sola scriptura, always reforming by going back to your word, looking at the new generations and new ways to uh, worship you and see whether they are right or wrong according to your word. Father, we all seek to only do what is right in your eyes. I pray that the flesh does not get in the way, that you would uh, help us see the difference between uh, maybe an anger that comes through rebellion and a righteousness that we seek through your word and through uh, the Holy Communion. Father, we thank you for all these things and we just seek that you might be glorified now through what we've said and done in Jesus' name. Amen.